0: Well, if you brought your Bibles, I want to ask that you would open them up to the letter of Paul to Philemon, the letter of Paul to Philemon. Philemon is a short little book at the end of your New Testament, right after the uh, longer book, uh, right before the longer book of Hebrews. And so uh, if you're following along, that is where uh, you would find it. Uh, This is our last message in this short 25 verse letter. mainly about relationships and so we've been talking about that for a long time and one thing that I I did want to sort of remind us that we haven't talked about this for for uh, for a while but it's good to be reminded of this is that when we open up uh, the the book that you have uh, in front of you or if you're on a device and you're looking at uh, uh, the the things that we're studying here this Bible that you have this is God's actual word like these just aren't good stories they're not just good moral letters for us to figure out how life works best this is God's word to us this is how he has revealed himself this is how he tells us what he is like and it helps us to also not only see what he is like but also how then do we do we live and so I want to just remind you because it's always a a good it's always good to be reminded that when we open our bibles from genesis on to revelation this is the very words of god written by uh these uh these people and so i wanted to remind you of that we're going to be looking at philemon uh the last four verses of uh philemon um but i'm gonna uh pray and then we will We will get into it together father we thank you for this time together this morning we want to ask that you would help restore our relationships through accountability lord all of us here uh need work in in some area or another and i just ask that you would begin to help us to till the ground of those uh relational issues that we may be having through the power of the holy spirit and it's in jesus name that i ask this amen All right, Uh, one of the hottest trends in the last couple decades has been this thing that we like to call buzzwords. And if you don't know what a buzzword is, the Oxford Dictionary defines it as this. It's a word or a phrase, often an item of jargon, that is fashionable at a particular time or in a particular context. So there are buzzwords for everything. There's buzzwords for occupations, for cultural things, for uh, political things, for uh, really any uh, subculture thing that has its own sort of lingo and language, has buzzwords. Now I did a, a Google search here this past week on what are some of the, the the biggest buzzwords, and found some that I'm actually not familiar with. How many of you have ever heard of a cobot before? Nobody, it's not a transformer. It's actually what uh, they defined it as a robot that is designed to work alongside of of humans in a workplace. So if you have uh, a robot assistant wherever you work, for one, you're awesome, and two, you have a cobot. Have any of you heard of an infodemic before? Okay, we're in a pandemic, but an infodemic is when there is an excessive amount of information uh, about a problem which is sometimes uh, incorrect but is unhelpful to actually lead to uh, fixing the problem. One of the favorite ones that I found is a word called cakeism. How many of you have ever heard of cakeism? How many of you like cake? Okay, well, at least we have a few there. Cakeism is when you want the benefits of something, but you don't want to have any of the negativity that comes along with it. Comes along from that, uh, that line, well, you can't have your cake and you eat it too. So uh, there's cakeism. If you go on your, your, your app store or your uh, Google Play store right now, you're going to find tons of apps that are called Apps at a Freemium. And what a freemium app is when you download an app for free and you can use certain levels of it. But in order to unlock the full feature of the app, you have to pay a fee. So it's, uh, or a premium app. So a freemium is uh, what you would consider that. How many of you have ever heard of a hipster before? Okay, hipster, that's a buzzword. Um, How many of you are really tired of the word unprecedented? Yeah, that's way more than the the first uh, service, yeah. You know, we hear it all the time. Well, this is an unprecedented time in our nation. This is an unprecedented epidemic. This is an unprecedented this. This is an unprecedented that. Well, I'm unprecedentedly getting annoyed with that word. We need to (laughs) to sort of calm down on the unprecedented nature of it. Um, There is one word, however, in the cultural, uh, especially in the business and the political culture, that's taken the world by storm. And oddly, it's a word that's been used in Christian circles uh, really for, for a long, long time. And the word is accountability. We could, we could shrink that down to talk about the word accountable. And it, it typically carries a negative connotation with it. Uh, but it just means what the root is. It is to be able to give an account of something that was not done, neglected to do, or something that, uh, uh, something that was done, you'll often hear, especially in this wonderfully positive political season that we're in right now, well, that person needs to be held accountable for their actions, or that business needs to have some accountability for the kind of things that they are engaging in. Well, we tend to like accountability when it comes to those people and those businesses that have done such egregious things that they need to be responsible for their actions Absolutely. But when we think about accountability for ourselves, you know, we kind of want to run away from that sort of accountability. For Christians, accountability is nothing like the way that the world uses it. In Christianity, uh, accountability is life-changing and it is life-giving. It isn't about coming to an account of how much you have screwed up or not done this or that it's not someone breathing down your neck trying to find out all these details about your life and although you may dread accountability sometimes if someone that loves you is going to come to you and have a conversation and ask you about something that well you don't really want to deal with too much and it's understandable but as an overarching principle christian accountability is having someone who loves you and who cares about your growth in Christ, checking in to see how you're doing in the faith. It's simply love someone that would come alongside you and love you enough to simply say, "How are you feeling? How are you doing? Where are things going?" If it's not going well, well, it's to encourage and challenge you. If it is going well, well, it's to encourage you and to challenge you. Um, when it comes to our relationships, we need people like this. We need either a group of people or one trusted person that, who will cheer us on and pick us up when we've fallen or who will love us enough to tell us what we probably already know but don't want to admit and to receive it from them. In today's passage, Paul is letting Philemon know that he's going to check up on him and he's going to check in and see how things are coming along with the reconciliation process between him and Onesimus. In in our final message today from Philemon, we're going to see how important accountability is in the Christian life, especially in our relationships. So let's look at Philemon. We're going to be looking only at verses 22 to the end, but I'm going to back up to verse 21 just to provide a little bit of context. Verse 21, since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, since I hope that through your prayers I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So if we want to get a grasp on or get a handle on this relationship thing, one thing we need to do is we need to embrace accountability. Embrace accountability. Now I realize that some of you may tease me a bit for what I am about to admit to you. But there is a show on Lifetime Television that I cannot get enough of. I should just leave it at there with Lifetime Television. But it's a show called Married at First Sight. Has anybody ever seen this show before? Okay, so those of you that are raising your hands, you're my safe people. So when people come to me and give me grief about that, I'm coming for you guys, okay? Married at First Sight is this, I'm not a romantic sap, but it's this fascinating show about two people who uh, are paired up together by these experts to be married. They don't know anything about each other. They don't know how they look. They don't know what their name even is. They know absolutely, this is a reality show too, folks, so this is real. They know absolutely nothing about each other until they are at the altar together saying, I do. Sort of a prescription for disaster, which... It's a reality show, folks. Come on, that's, that's, part of the, that's part of the deal. But as you can guess, without many deviations, these are couples that are wonderful at first. Oh man, this person, oh, she's so beautiful. This is gonna be great. And everything goes well. And then they go on their honeymoon and they start getting to know each other a little bit more and getting to know the things they don't like about each other. And they have to go home, and they have to move in together. It's part of the deal. And then after that, they've, you know, they're just learning all these quirks about each other that, that many of us who knew our spouses before we actually got married kind of worked out before we got to the altar. And sometimes it works out. Well, very rarely it works out, but sometimes it's pretty rough. But uh, when they're having trouble when they come back, they uh, these experts who paired them together try to counsel them on how to handle their situations and get them to hold these, uh, get to hold these people to the vows that they had made and to stick it out. There was one instance that, that, uh, that Pastor Dave and I have joked around a little bit on before because Pastor Cal, who is one of the experts, and, and he's my favorite guy on the show, he's this Christian pastor who's also a marriage counselor, he pulls aside this one guy who's we shouldn't even been on the show to begin with, but uh, he's sort of is figuring out whether or not he wants his marriage to work, and and you can you just kind of want to slap the guy sometimes. And finally, Pastor Kel ends up saying, "You know what? I've told a lot of guys this: marriage it ain't for punks. It's for grown-ups." And when he said that, it was as if the lights went on in the guy's head. All of a sudden, he went from this punk to Oh, I have a responsibility here. I actually have a wife. And it was because of that accountability, everything changed. Every word in this letter that we have in front of us here today displays Paul's care for Philemon and Onesimus. It's shown to Philemon in verses 4 through 7. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love for all the saints. And the, and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. My prayer is that your participation in the faith might become effective through knowing every good thing that's in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Concerning Onesimus in verse 10, he says this, once he was useless to you, Philemon, but now he's useful both to you and to me i'm sending him back to you but i am sending my very own heart wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel he might serve me in your place he cares so much for this reconciliation to happen in this relationship he he writes this in verses 15 through 16 for perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He's especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And then perhaps most shocking, Paul wants that to happen so much that he offers to pay off all of Onesimus' fines, whatever fee, whatever fine, whatever recompense needs to happen, Paul agrees to absorb it in himself. Look at verse 17. If he has wronged you in any way, charge that to my account. In verse 21, he writes of his confidence in Philemon to do the right thing. And in order to make sure that everything happens to God's glory and their good, in verse 22, Paul essentially says, hey, guess what, Philemon? I'm coming to town. I am coming to stay over. And I am going to check in on you and see how things are coming. There's no question here that Philemon would have understood that Paul was going to be asking him about how things were going with Onesimus. There's a sense in which Paul has said, look, I want you to do this on your own, willingly, but I'm also going to be checking up on you and seeing how things are going. And in verse 24, notice that he casually mentions all the people that he's hanging out with in Rome that they send all their greetings. What that says to Philemon is, whoa. There's a lot of big-name people that know about this. Something's got to change. And that's not to mention the fact that if you go all the way back into verses one and two, Paul writes to Philemon and he writes to this uh, Apthia, who we sort of believe is probably Philemon's wife. And Archippus is probably his son. But not just his family. What does he say? The church that meets in your home. Everybody knows what's going on here. The pressure's on, and Philemon's response is going to affect a lot of people. And as devastating as that sounds on the surface, this is exactly what we need. Not someone to air our dirty laundry by any means. That's not what this is about. But enough to care to say to us, hey, you know what? I'm going to come one of these days and I'm going I'm to ask you, how, how are you doing in your walk with the Lord? How are you doing in reading your scripture? How are you doing in prayer? What are you struggling with? We need someone to come alongside of us and say, how's your marriage going? And is your answer the same answer that your spouse would give about you, if I were to go and ask them? How are you relating to your children? How, how is that going? How is, how is work? How are you interacting with coworkers? How is that one uh, situation going with, with, with your friend? How can I pray for you? What do you need from me that that I can help you be successful? You see, accountability is not a reckoning. It's not an opportunity for someone to pry information so that they can just know uh, the juicy gossip. It's for someone who loves you, and for someone who trusts you, that you can trust. There's someone who is in your corner. Someone like Pastor Cal from Married at First Sight. That is going to tell you those hard things that you need to hear that the lights can finally just go on when it is out they have your best interest in mind and can tell you those things you need to hear so we need to embrace accountability but second and equally important we need to learn from other examples we need to learn from other examples verses 23 through 24 Uh, From a theological and biblical studies standpoint and really uh, an ancient um, letter standpoint, it's very typical. It's a very typical end to a very typical Roman letter in which the person that's writing is giving greetings uh, from the people that they are hanging out with. But in Philemon, it takes on a whole new meaning when you look at the uh, characters that are here with him, the people that are with him. Uh, there are two examples of relationships that we need to take note of. The first is of a guy named Demas. You see his name written there. We don't know much about Demas. We do know that Colossians and Philemon were probably written at the same time and were delivered together. So we see at the end of Colossians and we see at the end of Philemon, this man named Demas that is with Paul, who is writing from a Roman jail cell. So here's a guy that was a traveling companion with Paul and is a ministry assistant or co-worker with him in Rome. But in all the discussion that we've had about relationships, Demas shows us a negative example. For in uh Second Timothy, it's widely known as Paul's last letter. Paul's on death row. He is about to be executed. And whether or not it is death row for the crime of being a Christian, or whether it is dying of cancer, or whatever it is, nobody wants to die alone. We want friends and we want family around us. Because those are the things that are most important in life. But as these things are about to unfold... Paul writes this in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone on to Thessalonica. Let that sink in. Demas deserted Paul because he loved the things of the world more. That when the pressure was on, when Christianity became real, life and death are on the line. And Demas says, no, that's not for me. I don't want to part in that. And he ditches Paul. So Paul knew what it was like to go to the grave not having things right with a buddy of his. And I know that many of us have friends and loved ones that we look back and we wish we would have said something different, said something at all, been there, restored that relationship because there's nothing we can do about it now friends for those of us that are left that have those sorts of things it's not too late right now go to those people but don't let that happen again there's another redeeming quality here in these verses in verse 24 paul mentions this guy named mark mark was a cousin of barnabas who was a, a traveling ministry partner with paul and his first missionary journey and Acts 13, 13, Mark suddenly ditches them. He had had it. This is, this is too much. This is too much pressure. I can't handle it. And he takes off and he goes back to Jerusalem. And this really struck a nerve with Paul, so much so that when Mark kind of came to his senses and Barnabas wanted uh, uh, Mark to join him and Paul again to go out to their next missionary journey, this is, what Paul, this is what's written about Paul in Acts 15. But Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. And so Paul here was was so upset with Mark for ditching them. He said, forget it. I don't want to travel with that guy anymore. I don't want him on my payroll. I don't want him to follow me around and to help me with the gospel wherever we're going. So there's this big rift then. Barnabas takes Mark, and they go off in one direction. Paul takes Silas, and he goes off in another direction. And there's seemingly this rift between the two of them. But Mark is mentioned here. And he's mentioned at the end of Colossians. He's with Paul. He is serving with Paul. And what that tells me is that Paul and Mark, at some point, reconciled. We don't know how. We don't know what the circumstances were. But they were reconciled to such a degree that when Paul was about to be executed, he desperately wanted Mark to be with him. Again, looking at at 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is what he writes. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. What a transformation. Going from a guy that Paul wanted nothing to do with. Man, that guy wronged me. He does, he's a less Christian because he doesn't want to go off with me. Forget him. To now saying, this is one of the most valuable people that I know and I want him with me as I'm going to the guillotine. And that's the gospel working in relationships. I have long believed, and I don't don't know if this is what's going to happen or not, that when those of us who trust in Christ get to heaven, we're gonna see a lot of people that we were at odds with while we were here on Earth that we never reconciled with. And my guess is that when that time comes, we are going to look at those people and we're gonna say, man, that was so dumb. Why did we act in that way? Why did we behave that way? Life could have been so much easier if we would have just swallowed our pride, worked it out, Sure, this heaven thing is amazing, but think of what we could have had while we were still there. Think about the gospel witness that we could have had while we were still there. Friends, the gospel is alive and active right now. It's been clearly seen in relationships like these. So I don't know what you have going on in your life, but if there's someone that you need to go to Leave your gift at the altar and go be made right with your brother or sister and then come. And thirdly, and this is an overarching principle throughout the whole letter, is that we need to remember grace. Remember grace. Verse 25 is not only a benediction, it's a reminder. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Be with your spirit. In our relationships, as complicated, as messy, as broken, or maybe as beautiful as they are, need to be met and fostered and grown in grace. There are going to be times in our relationships in which we are going to be tempted to give up just leave forget this this is too hard i i i had other things to do there are going to be times in which we are so angry that we just want to just blast that person with some sort of verbal zinger Some of us may want to inflict harm on others. We must remember grace. We must remember that Christ died for you. Every action, every careless word, every wandering thought you have ever had has been purchased won and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. He didn't earn any of that. It was his unmerited favor. Jesus bled and died for those people that we are at odds with. Their redemption, Christ suffered for just as much as he did for you. Further, in love, he went to the cross for your relationships. Christ died for your marriage. Christ died for your children. Christ died for how you interact with coworkers. Wherever you are with someone, Remember that the grace of the Lord is with you and is freely given to you by the Holy Spirit to be patient and kind, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, just like our Heavenly Father. There is hope for your relationships and it is only in Jesus. So in all things, we must remember grace. Our relationships, I'm convinced of, can be healthy and flourishing. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it can happen. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the help of those who love you, through the hard work on your part, it can be done. Relationships matter. And that is the message of Paul to Philemon. Let's pray. Father, Lord, your mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morning. Our sins, they are many. Your mercy is more. And Father, we have sinned against others just as others have sinned against us. Lord, we beg you to forgive us according to the sacrifice of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who once for all died on the cross for sins. Father, we ask that you would restore our relationships that we are struggling with, that our heart breaks and aches for. We pray that you would move in their heart just as much as ours so that we would come together and be made new and that you would get glory for that. Father, I pray that you would help us to be bold enough to go to someone and say, hey, you know, Not there's necessarily anything going on, but I, I would really like to meet up with you sometime and just talk, to have some accountability. And so Father, would you give us the grace to do the hard thing of admitting that we need help. And Lord, would we see relationships in this church and in this community flourish because of your gospel and grace. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more messages, find us online at www.emmanuelmora.com or on any podcast app. Visit our website for more information about our church or access more resources. Also, if you like what you've heard, consider partnering with us in our mission by giving financially. You can give a one-time gift or give recurring gifts at www.emanuelmora.com slash give, or text the word GIFT to 320-313-1950.